Every lady needs a hobby. A Miss Fisher's Murder Mystery Podcast. I'm Mackenzie. I'm Genevieve. Uh, this week we are on site in San Jose at Miss FisherCon. Yes, very exciting. And uh, for this bonus episode, we are joined by the special guest from Miss FisherCon, Greg J. Walker. Nice to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Greg. Yeah. Um, so a little background on Greg. He's the composer for Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries and also for the movie Miss Fisher and the Crypt of Tears. Um, he's an Australian composer, singer, songwriter, and music producer with many years experience in film and TV scoring. Um, he's also produced award-winning albums for popular Australian artists such as Paul Kelly, C.W. Stone King, and Jan Cloher. In addition to composing music for TV like Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries and also Newton's Law, um, he has released nine musical albums under the name Machine Translations, and has he's also been nominated for multiple APRA Music Awards, including for Best Music for a TV Series or Serial and Best Television Theme for Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. So we're really glad to have you join us. Um, thank you. Yeah, well, you, we just heard your session this morning at the con, which we loved, um, and we're going to be asking you probably some similar questions for our listeners at home who couldn't make it to the con, and then also some different ones. Sure. Uh, yes. Um, we take, we're, we're a very lighthearted podcast, so there might be some, <laughs> some lighthearted questions at the end, but first, can you just give our listeners an idea of what it's like doing music for the show and what you love about it, what's challenging, just kind of the overview. Sure, well, um, I'd have to say doing music for Miss Fisher is probably one of the most enjoyable jobs a, f- a screen composer could get, just because of the nature of the material, it's, um doesn't take itself too seriously and it also allows you to kind of um, have fun basically. I mean obviously there's serious moments and you've got to right, do right. justice to the darker side of it as well but it's, um, I think I was saying this morning, it's, it's sort of no holds barred. You don't have to sort of hold back, you know, like if something's romantic you can be really romantic and if something's sinister and, and scary you can be really quite dark, you know, so um, it's, it's great in that way. It feels like um, the kind of show where as a composer you can really express yourself which is a pleasure yeah yeah I think that's what we love about the show is it's like it's a little over the top sometimes but like that makes it fun exactly and, and that's allowed you know right, it's, yeah. it's kind of um, would you say it's kind of uh, I'm trying to think of the right term like it's it's augmented reality it's not yeah it's heightened. It's heightened reality. That's what it is. Yeah. I like to sometimes say it's a little zany, which I think any good yeah. murder mystery should be, which I think that's what makes it fun to talk about. That's why we wanted to start the podcast, because yeah. we just have a lot to say yeah, <laughs> about the sure. show. Yeah, sure. And the music really adds to that, like kind of zaniness, but also, like you said, like it's, you know, it also deals with some serious issues. So. Yeah, that's right. And um, there are murders being committed, after <laughs> all. There's um, death. Now, one yeah, thing, so. yeah, I mean, to give you an example, like, Generally in the TV series, whenever any character dies, there's always like a, the lowest note on the piano goes okay, boom, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's sort of, that's probably a good example of, you know, having a bit of fun even though it's quite serious. But the other thing I should mention is too that the context of the 20s, and, and I did a fair bit of research when I first got the job and um, listened to a lot of 20s music and realised how, you mentioned the word zany, Mm-hmm. 20s music's really, really zany, and it's, <laughs> it's heaps of fun, and um, musically it's very expressive, and the format, it's really interesting, like if you listen to uh, the pop, you know, the top yeah. number one hits from the 20s, whatever, um, the format is really set, um, but it's a really interesting format compared to what we would think of as a, a pop hit today, basically in the 20s it was at least a minute of instrumental music, 
Like at really? the beginning? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so at the start, a minute of instrumental music where the, the main theme would be stated by a trumpet or a clarinet or whatever. Mm-hmm. A bit of mucking around there. And then the vocals start. And usually the vocals only go for like 40, 50 seconds. Really? And then, and then there would be like a solo mm-hmm. by one or more instruments. Mm-hmm. A bit of sort of mad back and forth between the instruments. And then the voice may or may not come back in. But at the end, there's just always an all-in jam. So the whole band would just go nuts at the end. And then it sort of falls off a cliff. <laughs> and that's how they, like that's you know, the, the end. endings is like, stops. Um, so even just being inspired by that approach to music, it's like there's a lot of freedom mm-hmm. in there. There's structure, but there's a lot of freedom. And, and um, the, the kind of zest in the playing is amazing from yeah. that era. So I tried to take a bit of that on board. You don't always hear that in the score, of course, but that was really great sort of learning experience for me to learn about 20s music and hear yeah. how different it is to these this modern time. Yeah, yeah it's interesting because I recently got obsessed with Let's Misbehave because we just reviewed that episode for the podcast. And so I found a bunch of different versions of it. And a few of them I was like, am I even listening to the right song? Because yes. there was so much instrumental at the beginning, we're just like not used to that. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. 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 And do you think that, is that because the, in the 20s was kind of when that like music with vocals was becoming pop music? That's a really good question. I don't know the. Yeah. I mean, there'd be people who really know that stuff right. much better than me. Um, I just thought it was interesting that the weight was given to the instrumental, mm-hmm. melodic stuff first before the yeah. vocal came in. Even on that, some of those really iconic songs, you know. Yeah. Um, so obviously, I don't know if that's a context where the jazz influence right. meant that the, you know the music was always. You know, those big band kind of mm-hmm. jazz stuff that the, the musical instruments are always kind of feature instruments rather yeah. than just there to support a vocal. Right. Yeah. The vocal is just one of the things that happens in the song, you know? Yeah. So we did want to ask you more about the period music yeah. since we were talking about that. Um, how did you find, like, the music that's featured in the show? Was that you? Was it kind of you and the Well, producers? no, that was actually um, another... Um, I do the... Mainly I do the scoring. Right, mm-hmm. right. Um, and so that's me supporting the dramatic, mm-hmm. mo- you know, shifts and things of the, the script. But um, but the music supervisor, his job was also, was to go and find the original twenties right. tracks, and I kind of learned a lot from from the stuff he found. Yeah. So he he was the guy, Norman Parkhill, his name is, and he did a fantastic job mm-hmm. of finding. At one point, he found a fellow in Melbourne who had collected immense amounts of old seventy eights, which uh, had been either unreleased or only released very briefly oh, in Australia. Cool. This is all old Australian stuff. Yeah. Um, and some absolute gems in that. And some of them no one had ever heard. Oh, so, so cool. you know, That's we actually really used cool. a couple of those pieces. Yeah. That's, um, like, do you have examples of I can't which? No. <laughs> That's all right. But, um, yeah, so he, he unearthed some absolute beauties. So cool. And, of course, then there's some classic ones that a lot of people would know like Minnie the Moocher and all that sort of stuff oh yeah (laughs) that was in an episode we reviewed recently I think I can't remember I can't remember yeah we specifically also wanted to ask you about the song Away With The Rum from Dead Man's Chest because (laughs) that's a personal favorite of mine (laughs) it's just so fun anyways I I wanted to see if you had any like stories about again you'd have to ask my favorite was um Dancing on a was that Dancing on a Sunbeam do you remember that one? I, can't, I, I mean, I know the song, but I can't remember what Which episode oh, it's in. Yeah. Yeah, that's my favorite one. Again, you'd have to ask Norman about yeah, that yeah. stuff. He, yeah. That was his domain. I actually, one of my side jobs was to clean up some of that audio from those old recordings. Oh, so, yeah. so scratchy and oh, I bet, yeah. um, noisy and stuff. So I did a bit of that. Um, 
but yeah, that was really pretty much his job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But okay. like I say, I was sort of influenced by that stuff. It was great. Yeah. Every episode, I'd at least hear one or two of those tracks and go, wow, that's inspiring. You know? That sounds really fun. Yeah. 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 Um, so we also wanted to ask you um, just how you kind of got hooked up with Deb Cox and Fiona Egger, because we know you've um, collaborated with them on a couple of different projects. Yeah. So if you can yeah, that's right. That. Well, they, um, they gave me my very first well, proper, I guess, inverted commas, um, scoring job for, for a TV series in Australia called East of Everything. Um, and I met them through an old friend who I'd known when he was at film scores, one of those old friendships <laughs> that kind of bore fruit for yeah. me down yeah. the, way down the line. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and up until that point, I'd always been interested in screen composing, but hadn't really had the opportunity or the, you know, the connection. So that was that was really great for me because obviously. Having worked on two series of that show, we went on to I went on to work with them on many other things, mm-hmm. including Miss Fisher. And, um, they're fantastic people to work with. They're very um, generous and full of ideas themselves. So it's, it's always a beautiful collaborative process. Mm-hmm. And um, usually, I would get a brief at the start of a, a um, an episode. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to sort of get the music right for each scene and so forth. But at some point, um, Fiona in particular would would come in and listen to everything and have some notes. And so, whereas I would get sucked into the kind of the vortex of what the music's doing, she she has the overview of mm-hmm. what the what the you know how the whole episode should work and how that part of it should work emotionally. So sometimes she'll be sort of say oh look at that that's a bit too light-hearted or that's too serious and let's get some more humor in there so mm-hmm. so she's always you know she's a great um sounding board for for ideas and stuff and, and that's that's part of the process that i really enjoy yeah. um and you talked about this in your session and i found this really interesting because i hadn't really thought about it before but kind of taking go switching gears from the television show to a full-length feature film yes. and the difference in the in composing the music for that can you talk a little bit about sure. that yeah yeah so um so after three series of the tv show um everyone had to kind of reset for, for the feature film and, and part of that was to kind of leave behind i guess some of the habits that we'd accumulated during the tv show <laughs> not that there was anything wrong with them but um we needed to kind of refocus on on a sort of long-form story arc and um scale things up so that we filled the screen and right. we, you know we filled the, the theater with music as well so um some of the things i really liked about the tv series music were that it at times was quite kind of you know like rather than have a big string section it was like a more like a little chamber mm-hmm. quartet or something there's a kind of acuteness to that yeah um and there was a bit of a point of difference, I think, sometimes in some of the music there. But with the with the the scale of the film, we had to step it up, and, and this was much more about getting big orchestral sounds and mm-hmm. sweeping melodies. And um, so that took a while for us, for me in particular, to find um, just adjust the musical language and, and get my writing processes kind of aligned that way. Um, and so there was a point, yeah, there was a point like a month or so in where. I felt like I was actually really struggling to find the, the tone for it. Mm-hmm. Um, when we discussed, you know, what the what what the music should be like, you know, 
the producer and, and the director were basically saying that here's your reference points. One, some Raiders of the Lost Ark, and the other one's Lawrence of Arabia. Okay. Mm-hmm. So a big epic. Right, yeah. Couple of movies, couple of right? Very different classics. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, they don't get much sort of bigger or more epic than that. Yeah, so uh-huh. I was kind of slightly um, nervous about how I was going to yeah. achieve these sounds because I'd never really done anything on that scale before. And, and, and so at some point we realised that, yes, we actually had to get some more money, mm-hmm. as always, and, and, and you know, get get a big orchestra involved. So that was a really exciting process and something a bit different to what I'd done on Miss Fisher before. Mm-hmm. And it sounded like it was in a pretty quick time frame too. Like you said, you had four or five months. To... Well, yeah, I mean, four or five months sounds it should be a lot for a feature film because it's actually ninety minutes of, yeah, you know, <laughs> not all of which is music, obviously. Right. So, yeah. But as it turned out, I filled every moment of those. Well, it was five months by the end of it. Um, yeah. I was pretty much working seven days a week on the score, and it just the time just flew. Um, so I hope you can hear that in the score when you when you see it. Yeah. But, um, yeah. But yeah, it was a great experience, and certainly for me, um, a learning experience working with a big orchestra for the first time, mm-hmm. getting to really kind of. Um, utilize those bigger sounds and see what kind of effects I could get and it was very exciting yeah especially you know when, on the big day when we got to actually record yeah, the orchestra yeah. and that was um it was kind of high stakes day yeah that must have been so interesting to do so much work you know coming up with all that music and then just having one day to yeah. kind of get it all right was that really yeah. stressful for you um it was quite stressful for all of us yeah because it's quite a team involved so I had a copyist who also helped um translate my record because I was I had to do sort of mock-up recordings yeah yeah um so that you know the the producers could hear what it was kind of yeah approve it but um and then you sort of got to use your imagination like, okay well this is going to sound more expressive and more dynamic and, mm-hmm. um so yeah it was a big day um a lot of people involved in that session um and it was a really exciting day because we we got to sort of hear everything come to life. You know, it's really like such a huge difference. So, because even if um, you've like you kind of have an idea of what it's going to sound like, and you've written it, so you know what it's going to sound like in your head. But does yeah. it? Is it like? I don't know. Is it different when you hear the orchestra play it versus oh, it's, what's in your it's, head? It's, it really is. Yeah. yeah. It's. I mean, it's interesting because a lot of music that you hear in film and TV is samples, mm-hmm. and some of them are quite convincing, mm-hmm. and you kind of almost get. You, it's, it's almost like a, a kind of part of screen composing language, musical language now that you are, your ears are so used to hearing mm-hmm. what are essentially flex strings, right? Oh, um, I'm going to have to but, listen for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, when, when you um, hear the real thing, yeah. it just knocks, you, knocks your socks off. You know, it's, it's so much more powerful mm-hmm. and expressive. And, mm-hmm. and I was very fortunate that I was working with a fantastic copyist and a fantastic um, conductor with pretty much the cream of the crop of Melbourne's classical oh, okay. players. Um, so the effect was yeah, really strong, and there was tears in the back of the control room. Wow! <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. So it was a great, great experience, and um, we were, we're all really happy with how it turned out. It's just I was very grateful at the end of that day that it all worked out because yeah. you only get one shot at it, obviously. right? Which is a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah. Like one. yeah, but you know, some composers that's how they work every time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, composers with a classical background because my background is folk and pop and rock mm-hmm. and you know, experimental kind of stuff. Um, for me, that was quite a big, big jump. Right. You know? Yeah. 
Um, but I, I had a, a good team to help me with it. So. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, you played a couple of clips from the music during your session this morning, which was really cool to yeah, hear. It got, I was just surprised by how excited that got me for the movie, you know, because yeah. it's so far out and I was just like, I mean, I think we forget sometimes when we're watching a movie how much the music sets the mood and just hearing it was like really got just really got me excited yeah. to, to actually see the thing. Yeah, I think too the scores, it's got a lot of flavours in it. It's got that mm -hmm. exotic eastern thing and the, the big orchestra. And, and I think I mentioned this morning we also have a choir um, and some fantastic um, Arabic instrumentalists. So it's got a lot of really nice flavours in it, the score. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of... You can feel that when you listen to the tracks even on their own, that they're quite, um, there's a lot of flavor. Yeah. It's so exciting. <laughs> so we also wanted to ask you if you had a favorite musical moment from the three seasons of the show. Yeah, someone asked that this morning and I have to say it's hard to choose. Um, I'm sure. I, there's, there's a bunch of ones that are pretty spring to mind, but none, no particular one. Um, I really enjoyed um, the wedding. Oh, yeah, music, yeah. You know, that, to me that was really fun to compose and um, the theme the theme track because it kind of it set the scene for the right. for the rest of the music in a way and, and it was one of those ones that felt like if I sat down to write that 20 times I'd probably only get one that would come out as well it just seemed to kind of really pop out and I think um, quite a lot of people have said to me that they, they love the sound of that when they're sort of making their cup of tea and the episode's about to start and the music, you know, it's one of those, which is what a good theme should mm -hmm. do. It sort of calls you to the yes. to the yeah. screen, you know. Yeah. And I think that one was, you know, one of the more successful things I've done like that. So We love the theme. Yeah, yeah. it makes me happy. You know, it's, it's fun and <laughs> yeah. it, it bounces and it kind of tells you what to expect a little bit. So that was a special one for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. We wish we could have like a really great theme song for our, our podcast because this is this is a low budget production, so we you know we purchased some like a like a sample from online, but yeah, yeah. you know. Um, so taking a step back, can you tell us a little bit more about your history and how you got into music sure. and? Sure. Yeah, that's, your well, that's kind a of, long story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the, the short version is that um, I grew up in quite a musical house. I'm a mum. Mm -hmm. Uh, was uh, still is to this day at the age of 90 a really beautiful soprano singer um, plays piano um, my sister played violin and piano my brother played guitar so um, and my dad was like a big Beethoven nut so there was always music yeah. in the house um, and I think that's probably as good a, a kind of starting point as you can get and then I just yeah, I just gravitated to the piano first and then to the guitar and um, pretty early on decided that oh, I don't know if it was a conscious decision but I just it just naturally felt like an, a lovely sort of path to explore and <laughs> um, in the last couple of years of high school I well, you call it something else here don't you high school yeah like um, nine nine to twelve yeah that kind of area I, I swapped school so I could go to the school that had a really great music course oh, okay. and I learned how to operate a synthesizer and how to do multi-track recordings on a tape machine so I kind of I had some basic grounding, you know, I was, I was fairly self-taught otherwise, um, but I always had that kind of interest in not just making music but recording as well. And so those two things have kind of gone hand in hand for me over the years. I still love any any situation like now when we can hit record and something is recorded, I love it, you know. It's still, <laughs> I still get excited about that. and um, 
that sort of led initially to me making my own recordings and, mm-hmm. I, and then I had uh, you know put out some records that, that were well received in Australia and so I kept doing that mm-hmm. writing my own songs and having a band um, but I also you know fairly early on started recording friends bands and okay. that sort of led to another career as a record producer mm-hmm. I've produced a lot of records for Australian artists over the years and some of them well known others not there doesn't seem to be much relationship between quality and success the big big names in Australia that I've recorded are fantastic right. but it's more like any record producer will tell you this you work on stuff that's fantastic but mm-hmm. because the artist doesn't have finance and backing and right a label and an agent and all that stuff that the record just kind of disappears and mm-hmm. that's quite heartbreaking sometimes but that's that's the world we live in you know yeah. um, but like as consumers that's really frustrating too to think that like there might be good stuff out there that you just never hear because it yeah. doesn't have the right yeah. promotion yeah so. that's right and uh, you know uh, to be successful it's like in any arts based um, thing you, you've got to have the talent the persistence mm-hmm. and the luck and the support and when all those things line up and you're, and you're the right thing at the right time, then, then things can really go well. But for a lot of people, it's, you know... It doesn't all line up a, like that. a bit of yeah. a rocky ride. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, have you seen the movie um, 50 Feet from Stardom? About It's about backup singers. Yes. Yeah, yep. I, I love that movie. But I'll, yeah, the, I remember a couple of them talking about how their careers as soloists never really took off because yeah. just the stars didn't align, but they're so talented. That's right. Yeah, I mean, that's a great example. Um, but, you know, I mean, for a lot of people, it's any career you can have in music is a great career because it's, it is so hard to make a living out of it. Yeah, and sure. I've been really lucky a couple of times. My, my lucky breaks have... My first lucky break was that... And this is a true story, <laughs> folks. Um, I, gave, I made a cassette of my music and gave it to a, another band that we were touring mm-hmm. with, drummer. At the time, I was too shy to actually perform my own stuff, but I used to record it. Um, and then... He was in the process of recording over it with a friend when they, ac- when they accidentally heard some of it. And, and the friend happened to be a guy who ran a record label. And he went, what's this stuff? And, that's, you know, oh, that's, that's great. Okay, well. And he got in touch and that's how I ended up wow. having a recording career. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. I um, mean, that's fate, right? Like, that's, just, yeah, yeah, it's fate, but it's also, you know, young emerging songwriters often ask me you know how do you how do you make it or whatever it's easier said than done but but a part of it is persistence and I think if you're around long enough and you've got Mm -hmm. something valid to say at some point you'll get that bit of luck and that was my bit of luck so that was the first one and the second one was was being um put up for the job composing for Fee and Deb and and that again has led to a whole another side of my career so Mm -hmm. I've been fortunate yeah are you working on an album right now no, I'm in between albums. I finished mm-hmm. my last album about 18 months ago. Mm-hmm. And I tend... The gaps between albums are getting longer. <laughs> <laughs> it used to be one a year. Uh-huh. Um, but that was when I didn't really do anything else. Right. And these days, it's it's a matter of um, having the time and being slightly underemployed with other things. Because mm-hmm. um, I do make a lot of records for other people. And then there's the screen yeah. composing as well. So that's fine. Like It's nice to be able to... I think of it as having a few different hats, you know, right. like when, when one goes quiet, I'll move to the next one. and Keeps things um, interesting. Yeah, that's right. And by the time I come back to my stuff, I'll hopefully have something new to 
say because you know I've, I've already made nine albums so whatever I do next has to be sort of a departure from what I've already mm-hmm. done otherwise mm-hmm. I don't think it's worth doing so yeah I'm curious to see what that'll be but I have no idea <laughs> yeah I mean we'd love to to hear more about your your band and your personal projects um, yeah you know aside from well I show. can I can certainly make some music available if you want to play oh, stuff, yeah. oh yeah trouble. we did we'd listen to it yeah we were listening while we were to it yeah. prepping for, okay. for the con <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not it's not like the suspicious stuff at all is it? well no it's not <laughs> no <laughs> We also wanted to ask you where machine translations comes yeah, from. Well yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Slightly long-winded name, I admit, but um, so that the the reason that came up is because um, early on, like I say, I always had this love of recording, so it was <laughs> very um, like a lot of engineers are. Sort of, you have a real relationship with your machines, right? And um, part of my writing songwriting technique was to. It's kind of an automatic writing technique where you. I record, I, so I'd have a melody, but I wouldn't have any words. So I'd just sort of mumble the melody into the mic and um, quite indistinctly mm-hmm. and then listen to it back at very low level and then sort of hear oh. hear words that at, weren't in, in the original recording. But when you listen back, sort of like, you know, your brain fills huh. in the gaps. And it, I'd come out with all these lines, which would often be, you know, sometimes to write a song you just need a couple of... Mm-hmm. lines to pop out and mm-hmm. some of it's quite sort of um, how to describe it a little bit kind of left of centre non-linear kind of stuff you know non sequiturs almost but interesting imagery would come out of that process and that would give me the spark for the lyric right so um, so machine translations is like me translating what the machine's saying <laughs> right. into songs yeah. you know which so okay. I was referring to that process that's so interesting. Yeah. I think most people would assume it's usually the other way around mm-hmm. that you start with the words and then you write the song. Yeah. But um, I think the ma- if, I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying that the majority of people probably learn an instrument before they start writing mm-hmm. songs. And so the classic is the singer songwriter with the acoustic guitar right. or the right. singer songwriter with the piano. And I think you'd find that probably more than 50% of those would have the music first and then the mm-hmm. words come later. The music's the easy bit. The words are the hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I don't. Are you familiar with the band? They might be giants. Have you heard yes. of them? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, that's probably my favorite band. But um, I, so many of their lyrics are so bizarre and like nonsensical. Mm. And they've said in interviews, people are always asking them like, "What is this about?" And yeah. they say a lot of the time, nothing. Yeah. They just have written words to go with the melody that they that's wrote right. first. Right. And that's I think right. that's really interesting. Yeah, it is. And there's so many different people have so many different processes. And some people do write the words first. Mm-hmm. Um, and then fill in the music underneath. And so it's, it's a very personal process, that one. But, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of bands that I sometimes do songwriting worksh- workshops. And um, I think that um, the storytelling side of music, of so- writing songs, well, that's one way to do it, but I think there's a lot of different ways to write a song. and. Yeah, there's some classic songs where the lyric is just complete nonsense. Right. Yeah. But it just sounds good. Yeah, exactly. you know? um, so there's so many ways to do it. Yeah. 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 It's interesting because that sounds like very different from the process you described of writing a score for the show where yeah. like the music comes last. That's right. Whereas in your yeah, yeah. Like, recording an album, the music comes first and that's then the right. lyrics. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. And what's interest, always interesting about making music for a show is that you're dealing with people 
who come from a much more visual background. Mm -hmm. So that collaboration I find is fascinating and they'll hear the music in a different way to right. the way I do um, for obvious reasons because it's it's part of a bigger picture, you know. And they've got the whole, they've been trained in the whole language of film and so forth. And, and I'm obviously know a fair bit about that now, now too, but um, the collaborative side of it is really what's great about it because mm -hmm. everyone's bringing ideas to the table, you know. I certainly am. Um, when I get my brief, there's a lot of ideas that come from the director and, and the producer about what the music should do. And sometimes you do what, what we all sort of have agreed to do and it just doesn't work very well. And it's like, why isn't that working? It's like, oh, well, in this particular instance, we have to, the music has to kind of fight the drama a bit rather than mm -hmm. just supporting it. Normally you're supporting the drama, but sometimes you have to kind of think outside the box, you know. The, generally the way that the music works with Miss Fisher is it's quite traditional in terms of its role. Um, if there's something scary, then the music's right. scary, right, and all that sort of thing. But sometimes it's like, well, it's got to be scary, but it's got to have a sense of humour as well. Right just to lighten it a bit, you know? Because it's the big scary bit's just around the corner. It's not you actually get, Yeah. <laughs> and you've got to let the audience know that without the actors knowing. You know, like right, right. there's these sort of subtleties about it that you only discover while you're doing mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Yeah, we always like to note in our recaps where it's like, okay, the eerie music is starting. So that means <laughs> something's going to happen yeah. soon. That's that, you right. can hear it coming. <laughs> Um, well, I think that's a good transition to uh, some. We wanted to ask you some show-specific questions. Mm -hmm. um, so you can test my memory now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose it's been a few years now. Um, but so the the episode, um, the Green Mill Murder, season mm -hmm. one, episode two, a great episode for music, um, yes. and also one of the silliest murders of the whole series, where uh, the cornet player yes. shoots a dart that out of his mute and one. kills the the <laughs> man who's having an affair with his wife. Yeah. Um, we. Uh, we had a lot to say about this in the episode where we reviewed it um, because Genevieve is actually a trumpet player. Yeah, and I don't oh. think it's feasible that you can kill <laughs> someone with a dart out of a, a mute, but we wanted to get your opinion on this. Not being a trumpet player, I can't comment definitively. I would say that it would have to be a modified instrument. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you would know better than me. Because you, but yeah. you know, like the the constraints of reality have never stopped. So <laughs> Now, is there an instrument that you think would be a better murder weapon than yes. a trumpet? Okay. Yes. What is well, it? Well, you know, some uh, a few years ago now, um, Deb and Fiona said to the the kind of core creators, "Well, if you have a great idea for a murder, let us know." Right. And I said, well, <laughs> I've got one. It's, okay. a, it's a piano string. Someone get, gets murdered by a piano. And string. that happens. That is, they'd use that, right? Yeah, in dead air, he gets like. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. it's a piano string. He gets. Choked with a string. Yeah. Yeah, so whether they used my full... I don't think they used my full idea, though. Okay, what was the full idea? <laughs> well, the idea was that the clue to the murder was the notes oh. that the strings came from. We oh, didn't go that far. Yeah. But yeah, so... Oh, so, the, you know, if Miss Fisher would be playing the piano and notice that the... Yeah, the, and then there'd be like the note missing. She's like, oh, the B-flat. What does that mean? <laughs> oh, and that is like that's a, a clue. clue. See, yeah. that seems like something Murdoch Foyle would do. Yeah, probably. Yeah. That seems like, I mean, that really would be perfect because we, we always like to note whenever Miss Fisher is exhibiting a perhaps absurd skill that it maybe is yeah. a little unrealistic, yep. that she could yep. have yep. quite so many skills and like maybe if she had like perfect pitch, <laughs> that would be, yeah. that would be she our... She'd just be able to rattle off a yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although we do hear her sing in Dead Air. So, yes, and right. you were talking this morning about writing that jingle. Mm. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, 
but this is the, the thing that comes up now and again in screen composing and then I'm always grateful that I've got a background in songwriting because <laughs> it's like okay we need a song we need a song for this ad and um, it's usually the turnaround's pretty quick so right. two, two and a half weeks maybe three weeks to do a whole episode so suddenly you know you're sort of working through the the timeline writing the music and it's like oh okay got to write a song this morning <laughs> <laughs> um, and all I had was the, the, the name, the brand of the... So you knew it was Flamboyance Washington? Yeah, I knew it was Flamboyance okay. and that was about it. And so it's probably the first thing that came into my head. Um, fortunately, it didn't have to be very long. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're just trying to come up with something that sounds a bit jingly, but has that sort of 20s flavour. Right. Um, and Essie did a fantastic job oh, yeah. with it. Yeah, she just nailed it to the mast pretty quickly. She's obviously very talented. Right. Um, in a number of ways, and she's a great singer. So, mm -hmm. again, that one that one come together pretty easily. They don't always come together easily, but yeah. What was a more challenging thing to pull off musically for the show? Um, oh, it's a hard question to answer. I'd have to think of the specifics, but um, there's always problem cues. There's always cues that just don't want to come good, and sometimes it's because I'm leaning too much on a particular instrument or flavour mm -hmm. that doesn't quite fit nicely. Every now and again I have to say there's, there can, and this is a role that sometimes the composer has to fulfil as well, is to sticky tape together a scene that didn't quite work. Or, Ooh, yeah. You know, the, the, the director might sort of say, well, the, the acting, we just didn't quite hit the notes in this one, so it's a bit flat and we mm -hmm. need to sort of, you know, you need to make it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> that's um, a lot of pressure. And some, well, it's it's part of the job, and, and sometimes right. that's easy, and sometimes it's really hard. It's really hard to lift something that naturally doesn't have a lot of energy or something, and it's meant to be more energetic. Mm -hmm. And you know, sometimes you, you can try all you like, but you can't quite rescue it. Um, <laughs> so there's times like that, but yeah, I'd say the hardest ones are often the ones where you're transitioning from one emotion to another, mm -hmm. or or if it's a particularly long cue. Like, um, oh, yeah, that's a good one. Um, the, I call it South by South East. Um, and that's the, um, the final kind of chase scene in the military. Oh, on the motorcycle with the plane? With the plane. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Sorry, was that season three? That's season three. Season three finale, maybe. No, no. I don't think no, so. No, no, it's not finale. No. No, it's in season three. Yeah. yeah. Um, and... It's just so tremendously long. It's, it's like <laughs> sort of six or seven minutes of music and it goes through so many different, you know, right, tension right. And, and, and drama and then back to tension and then the chase and, you know, cues like that, it's kind of, it's a big job to, to cover that much time and make, keep the music moving and I remember with that one. And also because the brief was to make it sound like, you know, um, Hitchcock. Oh, wow. Not, okay. Not like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so that's just in another quadrant of the right, um, right. compass but um yeah so the cues like that are tough because you kind of want to keep the momentum going which means you've got a pulse but at some point the pulse after five minutes of pulsing it's kind of like well this is just too static you know yeah, something's right. got to change and, and so you're trying to find light shade and ups and downs and keep the keep the, the chords moving in different ways and yeah that's those those cues are challenging yes Especially for that long of a stretch of a yeah. scene to like keep yeah. it. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, the great thing about things like that is that you get to stretch your legs as a composer. Right. Really. 
you've got time and, uh, to, to make some stuff happen. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes the opposite thing is to that when you've got, you know, you've got one and a half seconds to <laughs> make a transition from, from tragedy to humour or something. That's the opposite thing. It's right. Like, yeah, I don't have to make, I'm gonna make this work, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you said you use kind of the new briefs as excuses to learn new instruments. So what is your favourite, like, new instrument that you've learned? Yeah, well, um, so season two, I decided that I had to learn clarinet. Mm -hmm. Um, And during that season, I really made good progress with the clarinet. I enjoyed hearing that this morning because I'm actually a clarinet player. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I was in band in high school. Yeah, yeah. Well, the clarinet was a big discovery for me because I'd always thought of it as a high-pitched instrument. Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of, as a beginner, just naturally gravitated to the, the lowest octave, which is quite <laughs> mellow, and it sits in the same range mm-hmm. as like a cello or a viola. Mm-hmm. And, and when it's played softly, it's got that beautiful sort of smooth quality. So I, I use that a lot. And the, the, one of the signature things with the Miss Fisher score is there's usually two. Mm-hmm. There's two clarinets, and they do stuff together in harmony, and they right. go up and down, and, and that's a, a bit of a signature thing. Um, so series three, I decided I would, because I, I play string instruments and guitars and percussion and piano and stuff, and I'd never really had a go at a brass instrument. So I bought a thing called a tenor horn, which is kind of like a French hornish thing. It doesn't look like a French horn, but it's that that kind of register, and that was way more difficult. Um, <laughs> way more difficult. <laughs> And well, the French horn is famously difficult too, I think. Yeah, right? I, think, hard. I think it was, I discovered after about six months that the instrument I was learning on just had terrible um, pitch, like oh. I had real, real issues. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, combined with me having real issues playing, it was this terrible combination. Um, that, that's always feels good when you are really struggling with something and then you discover like well, maybe, yeah, maybe your tool is little, not helping you. <laughs> yeah. um, and then for the feature film, which just finished... Um, because it was part of it set in the Middle East, I um, learnt an instrument called the oud, which is a beautiful um, Arabic guitar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also started learning the flute. Okay. Yeah. So it's well, what's nice about working on these shows is that because there's so much music that has to be written and you've got time, you can, for a multi-instrumentalist, I think instruments are like languages, you know, you hear people who can already speak four languages right. so they can pick up a fifth one fairly quickly. And for me, in- instruments are like that. I can, right. I'm not expecting to become particularly fluent, but because I'm recording, it's sometimes you just need four or five notes. Right. You just need to order a coffee, ask where the bathroom is, and uh, <laughs> say, hello, my name is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so um, it's nice to to have challenge yourself with a new mm-hmm. instrument and, and, and yeah, like I say, sometimes with something like the flute, you just you need a simple melody that just right. a three note thing and, and it conveys quite a lot of flavour and character just mm-hmm. within something simple. So mm-hmm. it's um it's a good sort of thing to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So <laughs> at the end of every show for our sillier for our questions podcast, we do a list of ratings. Mm-hmm. So we rate in every episode Friday's new skill, uh-huh. um, best outfit, all this stuff. And one of the things we rate is the sexual tension of the show uh-huh. or of the episode. And so we've created a listener poll for for Miss FisherCon and we wanted to get your thoughts on from a musical perspective what the best um sexual tension moment in the show was. <laughs> so I'm going to show you the poll. We actually created a poll and we sent it out. Yeah, to, so, so a lot of people filled this out and we're going to be revealing the results at our session um, tomorrow. 
So these are the options that we put together, but if you have a different one, like from yeah. a musical perspective. And maybe we should just read them out for yeah. listeners who obviously can't see the screen. Yeah, so yeah, number yeah. one is the the first kiss from season one and Murder in Montparnasse. Um, then Murder in the Dark, the if you really want a Roman soldier scene. Um, Unnatural Habits, season two, episode 12, when Jack um, stops by the house after leaving Rosie behind. Um, and then season three, episode one, Jack's um, liberal-minded man speech. And then is there one more? Yes, there is. Uh, yeah, the last one, of course, the kiss from the series finale. This is a very difficult business. <laughs> I mean, it's serious, too, so. Uh, look, I would say, this is my personal recollection of it, that series two, episode 12, where Jack's left Rosie behind and then pops over for a late-night visit. Yes. That's that's getting close. That's getting up there. That's the good stuff, right? Yeah. 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 So I'd, I'd nominate that one. Okay. But, all right. All yeah, right. that's... Uh, I don't want to give anything away, but listeners were a big fan of that scene yes. as well. <laughs> I mean, you could cut the tension with a knife. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then on Prudence, just ruins it all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A great scene. Well, I look forward to seeing the results. Yes. The yeah. We've done a lot of scientific analysis. We have all <laughs> Yeah. You've got meters that you can measure how much. Well, well, we do actually have a, a joke about that the sexual tension meter is a physical well, device and that sometimes, for example, season two, episode 12, the meter was broken we and right. we had to take it to the hardware store and get yeah, it repaired. Yeah, 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 um, so. <laughs> yeah, the STM. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's an expensive and difficult to calibrate machine. It is hard but, to calibrate. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, so that was, um, that was what we wanted to... To yeah, ask you from our, input on that, our listener so. poll question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah, those are those are all the questions that we it. had prepared. Anything um, else you want to share with our listeners? I can't think. Anything else you want to ask? How long does your podcast go for usually? Usually an hour. Yeah. If we really like the episode. We sometimes go a little over. Yeah, we have a hard time cutting it down. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we usually um, we just kind of do short little scene by scene recaps. <laughs> um, and then Genevieve does a murder recap. She's the she's the murder fan. Um, yeah. That sounds terrible. I'm not a fan of murder she's, she's more into murder mysteries than yes. I am. So yeah. she does the the you know this is what happened. This is how they figured out. You know, and then yeah, we, we yeah, do yeah. our ratings at the end. So great. Yeah. yeah. So all right. Well, so now let me ask you: Are yeah. you one of those people that figures it out? So yes, um, <laughs> I have read a lot of Agatha Christie books and watched a fair number of murder yeah. mystery shows. So I usually can pick out who I think it is, but it's been interesting. With with Miss Fisher, I've watched it so many times that I know, I usually can remember who it is, Um, but I've been testing myself with Miss Fisher's modern mysteries to see if I can figure it out. Sometimes I've been wrong, so it's not not a perfect science, but yeah. yeah. Because that really frustrates me that people can do that, because I just never have any (laughs) idea. And um, my memory's not very good either, so I can watch the same episode again. I mean, mind you, the ones I've worked on, yeah, right, you really get it. Got you know, into the, yeah. the, the yeah. kind of reveal about fifty times. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, but we, yeah, when I'm watching, sometimes I because I, I love Agatha Christie too. I, oh, okay, I, I yeah. often go back and reread. I just I really like her writing. I mean, yeah, she's, she's she, weird she, to say, but she's underrated as a writer. Oh yeah, because you know, it's so pop, it's so sort of mainstream. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I love her characterizations in that. But the yeah, way I'll she read describes the same. people. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. she's a genius. Yeah. Like, like literally, like one sentence to mm-hmm. describe a character, and it's vivid. And you know who she's talking. Like you yeah, can picture that yeah, type of it's, person. It's, yeah, it's brilliant. Um, but I can sometimes, I even though I know I've read it before and right. seen the you know 
the episode on TV, I still can't remember. <laughs> and it's still a shock when I go, oh, it was, it was them. Well, because it's never who you expect it to be with Agatha Christie. It's always nah, like some... Yeah, yeah. But then sometimes she flips it around and sometimes it's exactly the person you thought it was going to yeah, be at the beginning. But the, if, if it's the person you thought it would be, there's always a, like a double yeah. a double flip. Exactly. <laughs> We're halfway, you know, they're the main suspect halfway through and then there's something that happens that, oh, well, it's not them. Yeah. That's a trick. Well, I think it's with Miss Fisher, it's often like, you know, it's never the first, it ne- really never is the first person you suspect in Miss Fisher, I don't think. And then it's often like either the person who hired Miss Fisher, right? <laughs> or, yes. or like just someone who was acting very normal and non suspicious and had a great alibi yeah, at yeah, the beginning. Right. <laughs> yeah. do, do you guys ever watch like Midsummer Murders? Or yes, I've watched I haven't seen it. Those. Yeah, like and I have the, those episodes are so long. Sometimes so I lose, long. and sometimes I can't watch them all in one sitting. Yeah. So then I like lose the track, and then it's oh, all you kind of get like, sleepy. I get sleepy halfway through. Yes, <laughs> I will confess. Sometimes if I'm having a hard time falling asleep, mm. I'll just put Midsummer Murders on. And, and the other thing I do is because it's so long, I can have more suspects. Yes. So there's like always. And it's hard to keep track of the suspects. There's the couple, you know, there's three or four couples, and then there's the gardener and the <laughs> mechanic or something. Okay. And the thing that I don't even remember that person. Episodes are kind of similar, so there's always like a, a choral competition or a bell ringer competition, oh, and I can't com- remember yeah, yeah, yeah. like or a festival, and you're like, right. was this the festival where this person was suspicious? Yeah. Was this a different? Yeah. And then you think, well, who would move to that town? It's <laughs> astronomical murder, right <laughs> you know. No one's gonna in there. Right. Everyone else was left by now. Oh so my god! You can't have a village fate or something with that. All these people dying. Yeah, it's like every time there's yeah. a party, someone dies. Yeah. It's so funny those shows that are set in a small town. Like my my dad loves that show. What's the the British medical drama where the doctor is like really? What it's doctor doctor, doctor Brown maybe? No, no that's Father Brown. He's something. like really like rude to everyone. And anyway, it's just a very mm. small town, and there's constantly all these medical emergencies happening, and it's yeah, like yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Something's going on. It's gotta be like maybe 500 people that live there. How many heart attacks and like half of them are in hospital? Yeah, (laughs) but that's sort of it gets to a point where that's kind of part of the fun, you know? Like it's just it's so realistic in certain ways, and it's just so unrealistic in others. Yeah, it's like Miss Fisher with the impossible skill set. Yeah, you're like, okay, well, she can fly planes. Now she's cracking open a safe. Yeah, (laughs) well, we didn't want to start a podcast about a show that was like, well, yeah, it seems like how it would really happen in real life. All right, not much to say there. (laughs) That's right. You picked a good one. (laughs) Well, we often talk how the the death scenes are always very quick. The person dies immediately. Too fast. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then it's like, you don't want to just watch like 10 minutes of someone being strangled. It doesn't make a difference. I know there was, they had quite strict guidelines from the ABC, who was the commissioning <laughs> channel. And they're, they're sort of the public broadcaster in Australia. So they have quite sort of um, careful standards about, you know, you can't really show much blood. Right. Stuff. right Otherwise, okay. you'd have to move to a different time slot. But oh, I had that sort of constrained yeah. in certain ways to keep it. Oh, that's interesting. Know, no swearing, none of that stuff. Really? Yeah, which I really like. It's, it's old fashioned you know, yeah, yeah, in yeah. that way. It's kind of good, clean. Yeah, and yet they tackle like some, mystery fun. Yeah, <laughs> some pretty like controversial issues too. But you almost don't realize that it's controversial because yeah. probably there's that's right. it's, it's pretty yeah they, they clean otherwise. I think Fiona and Deb make a point of exploring some mm-hmm. issues that have contemporary right analogies. Yeah. You know? yeah, I mean they definitely do. I think that's one of the things we like so much about the right. show. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, it's got a kind of moral compass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. without like beating you over the head with it, like. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's not just like in your face. It's just like part of the story that they're telling. Sometimes you think about after you've seen it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And like since we've been reviewing it for the podcast, I've realized almost more depth than when I first watched the show. Like, oh yeah, they're really digging into this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. um, Yeah. Yeah. It's been fun to because I think I don't often watch a show so many times that I catch all of the layers but because of the podcast mm-hmm. you know we're really watching and taking notes yeah you're analyzing it yeah. yeah the first time I watched it through I was just like when are these two gonna kiss like I was like, <laughs> you know, I, was like I don't care who killed the guy and I was texting yeah. Genevieve like is it this episode and she's like you got a long time to wait <laughs> I know yeah, yeah well but, it's yeah. interesting though I was thinking about this this morning that um, the more people like me kind of and you guys sort of pull back the curtain you know does that affect how much you enjoy it, like when you know, because I, you know, I've got to the point now. It's I find it sometimes quite hard to watch TV because mm-hmm. I just immediately am like, that's an interesting use of music, <laughs> right? Um, you know, oh, the the script wasn't that good in that section, or you know, it it, it sort of becomes this professional tick that you <laughs> yeah. start analysing it. Right? Yeah, I definitely have started doing that. Like, I'll notice things in, sh- like, other shows I never would have noticed before just because yeah. yeah. I watch it with a different eye yeah, that's when right. we're doing it for the podcast. That's interesting. I yeah. mean, that's part of becoming educated. And, yeah. And it's always a double-edged sword. Right. Because there's times when you're like, oh, just, that side of my brain would switch off and I'd just enjoy this without the, yeah. analyzing it. But, yeah. but Sometimes I, I like that, though. Like, I, I kind of enjoy watching bad movies mm. and then just, just discussing them yeah. with other people I, I like that I don't know yeah, <laughs> like, yeah for sure like and all it's... the ways that this was terrible let's just let's discuss you know <laughs> and especially now because I think the average person is watching a lot more you know contemporary TV which is kind of having this kind of new lease of life and, mm-hmm. yeah you know people are educated they've, they know what's what and right yeah yeah and I feel like you can pick and choose more what you watch with like sh- online streaming, Absolutely. like which is how yeah, I watch yeah. Miss Fisher. Like it wasn't being broadcast. Yeah. I don't even have a TV that yeah, has yeah, broadcast exactly. TV, so it's like yeah. Yeah, it's, I feel like we're probably not anywhere close to the level that you're at. With I mean, I, I think just recording the podcast, yeah. we, haven't, we haven't dug too deep that it's affected sure. our enjoyment of other but, things. But you but know, you're obviously looking at it's, it yeah. with a different eye. Yeah, yeah. I was. Um, they, f- they film a lot of movies in Boston, which is where I live, and um, I like randomly signed up to be an extra in a, a movie this fall and did it, and I, it was like pulling back a curtain that I'd never seen behind, and I was so fascinated, oh, and that changed. really fascinating. Yeah, yeah, that changed the way I watch movies, because yeah. I just, I had no idea, like everything that happens with the set, and just yeah. the, all the people and the costumes, and it really was mm. really fun. It is, it's, it's a fascinating process. I still find it fascinating. I, I usually end up on set once or twice right. per sort of series or whatever and often it's just advising on how the music's going to work in the scene because mm-hmm. you know it can be really tricky when you've got the classic one is you've got people dancing to music mm. or there's a band on stage mm-hmm. they have to mime to music that's been pre-recorded and then how do you get around that and um, you often end up with this problem where you can't keep the dialogue because people are dancing and there's all these footsteps on the phone. Yeah. So it's terrible. Um, and so half of sort of what's happening is, you know, there's so, like you say, there's so many people involved, so much moving around, so much, you know, discussions with the lighting person. And, and then suddenly you realise that they've just shot, they've just shot the same. And you don't even really know. <laughs> You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's like it's over in a flash, and then you know, then the next setup takes 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, I I guess the the scene that I was in, they they shot it about 
45 times. Yeah. So <laughs> was um, that a film? Yeah, it was little. Yeah. It was Little Women. Yeah. So it was, okay, yeah. yeah, it yeah. was a scene where the actress was just running down the street repeatedly, yeah. and it just over and over and over again, and then they, like back up the car and back yeah, up the yeah, horse yeah. and carriage, and <laughs> again yeah. and again and again right. and again all day. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, TV films are a bit different like that. You can, you've got time and budget usually to shoot the same scene mm-hmm. three or four times if you need yeah. to. Um, with TV, you don't. It's generally like first take or second take, and then wow. you have to move on. Because it's such a tight timeline. It's such a yeah. tight timeline. And, you know, depending on what the budget is, it's, mm-hmm. there's not, you know, there's not much kind of room for having to reshoot things, you know. So you, right, if you only have like a set time yeah, location. Yeah, you know, you hear, and like, you hear yeah. people, you hear the directors moaning because they've had to ditch another shot. Oh, you know, yeah. Because they've run out of time yeah. to do that extra mm-hmm. shot, and that's going to affect mm-hmm. how it looks, oh, yeah. you know. Even though that will have a knock-on effect to how it's edited, and, and then you see, it was interesting doing the feature. I got to spend more time in the edit room, seeing how mm-hmm. the how the cut evolved, and that process is fascinating too. It's like you can really change the emphasis of the storytelling by how you, cutting things yeah. out, or moving them, or shortening them. Or, you know, it's it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's such an art. It really is. And I think if you're just like casually consuming media, you don't always realize all that goes into that. Or like you describing how you build the this score to a scene. Like you don't really think about that when you're just like casually consuming media. Of so, course, yeah. yeah. And if, if you're doing your job right, the viewer's not going to think right, about it. Right, right. It'll just be part of the experience yep. of the film. And, you know, you hear that's a bit of a truism that good a good score is kind of invisible because mm-hmm. it's just doing what's required and, and it's it's sort of magnifying the drama right. that's already there and you know you're not really aware of it alright well thank you again for doing yeah, this yeah thank you so much for taking the time pleasure. and for coming to Miss Fisher it's Con. great time yeah, it's, it's um, very nice to come over and be part of Miss yeah. Fisher Con so thanks for having me hey listeners thanks for making it this far Uh, Instead of our usual outro music, we actually want to include a special clip that Greg sent us of music that he composed for the movie. This clip didn't actually end up being used in the movie itself, which is why we can play it for you here on the podcast before the movie comes out. Hope you enjoy it.